You're listening to a message from Redeemer Bible Church. We hope you'll visit us in person, or you can find more messages like this one at RedeemerBibleChurch.com. And it's our final sermon in 1 Corinthians 15. So to review quickly, week one, Jason Harrison explained how the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ is essential to the gospel message. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, the Christian has no hope. And if the resurrection is dismissed or denied, the biblical gospel is lost. The good news is gone. Week two, Dale walked us through Paul's brilliant argument showing that the resurrection of Jesus cannot be separated from the resurrection of all those Jesus purchased by his blood. If Jesus experienced a bodily resurrection, so will every single person who believes in Jesus. Last week, a third week, Aaron challenged us to embrace the glorious and hopeful truth that union with Christ guarantees every believer a glorified body. In fact, Aaron closed last week by saying this. To all believers, unless Christ returns in your lifetime, you will enter the grave. Your soul will be with the Lord immediately, but your body will decay. However, death will not have the final word. Like your Lord Jesus Christ, you will be raised in beauty, glory, power, and honor. So with all of that in mind, here's where we're headed this morning. Three statements about the resurrection. First, resurrection involves miraculous transformation. Resurrection involves miraculous transformation. Second, resurrection secures final victory. Third, resurrection compels us to get busy. First, resurrection involves miraculous transformation. Again, look at verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? I want to be as clear as I can be in an effort to avoid any misunderstandings of the text this morning. So let me begin by sharing one thing this text isn't saying. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. This verse is not saying that physical bodies won't be present in the kingdom of heaven all throughout eternity. No, that would contradict everything Paul has said in the previous 49 verses. Paul is simply saying that our physical bodies, as they are now, marred by sin and given to physical decay, these bodies, precisely as they are, cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Now hold on to that. I want you to see how it connects to what comes next. Verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. Here's how the whole argument in verses 50 through 52 connects. In verses 35 through 49, the text was primarily addressing what happens to Christians who've died before Christ returns. Now Paul transitions to those who are living when Christ returns. What, what happens to them? So I want to answer that question in just a minute, but first I want to draw your attention to one word because I don't want to. I want to go past this in verse 51. It's the word sleep. Sleep in verse 51 is referring to the death of Christians. I love that. For the believer, death is just sleep. It's not final. It's not the end. Just as sure as God sovereignly woke you up when you were dead in your sins, he will again wake you up in the resurrection. Death for the child of God is nothing more than sleep. Russell Moore captures this in an essay I read several years ago. Here's what he writes. When you get a moment... Find an old church graveyard and walk through it. Not for the goosebumps or ghost stories, of course, but to remind yourself of some matters of eternal weight. Walk about and see the headstones weathered and ground down by the elements. Contemplate the fact that beneath your feet are men and women who once had youthful skin and quick steps and hectic calendars, but who are now piles of forgotten bones. Think about the fact that the scattered teeth in the earth below you once sang hymns of hope. Maybe when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Or when we all get to heaven. More rights, they are silent now, but they will sing again. They will preach again. They will testify again. Well, this is gloriously true. This is true of all Christians who die and are laid in the ground to sleep. Paul wants us to know what happens to those who are alive when Christ returns. Those who have not fallen asleep through physical death. Again, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Paul rightly refers to this as a mystery. These people don't need resurrection per se, but they do need resurrected bodies, right? They do need all the benefits of the resurrection, even though they're still living when Christ returns. So here's the mystery. If you're alive when Christ returns, you, you cannot be ushered into the presence of the triune God as you are right now. 
Right now, sitting here in this Easter service, brothers and sisters, you are clothed in a perishable and corruptible body. You know that. So what needs to happen? Well, if you're alive when Christ returns, you need a miraculous transformation. You need to experience what all the sleeping believers experience, but you need it to happen instantly. And what do you know? This is precisely what God promises will happen. Verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. Tom Schreiner writes, when the trumpet sounds, the believing dead will be raised with imperishable and incorruptible bodies and the living will be changed instantaneously so that their bodies will no longer be perishable but imperishable. How's that going to happen? I have no clue. I have no idea. But God has the power to do it. What we have here, friends, is a miraculous and total transformation. This is the culmination of all that believers have been promised in Christ. This is the culmination of the guarantee of Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Oh, Redeemer family, whether you die and are laid in the ground, or you are living when Christ returns, all that you've longed for, all that you've toiled for, all that you've prayed for, the full and final transformation that we sing so passionately about, it will happen in a moment. Miraculous and total transformation. And remember, remember the argument of this text. All of this hinges on the resurrection of Christ. Friends, if the tomb isn't empty, then all the promises of God are. If the tomb isn't empty, then all the promises of God are. Resurrection involves miraculous transformation. Second, Resurrection secures final victory. I want to look at verses 54 through 57, but let's begin with 54 and 55. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your Sting. Paul references two Old Testament texts here as a way of emphasizing how the return of Christ is the fulfillment of what God has promised. Isaiah 25, 8, Hosea 13, 14. Both of these texts are fulfilled when Christ returns and believers, dead and living, are miraculously transformed by means of resurrection power. Isaiah 25, 8 looks forward to the time of God's final judgment when he will swallow up death forever. 
he will also wipe all tears from the eyes of his people and they will enjoy a great feast. Hosea 13, 14 promises judgment, but also healing and hope as God's people are restored. Now, what are we to make of verses 56 and 57? First, verse 56. Let me share with you what one commentator offered, put forward as an explanation. I found it helpful. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. This man wrote in saying that the sting of death is sin, the nexus between sin and death which goes back to Eden, is uncovered. Sin brings death. That is, it separates people from God. The sting in death, then, is that it separates people from God. And that separation is permanent if one does not have life in Christ. The sting we feel in death is the result of sin. For the sting to be removed, sin has to be no more. What about the second part of the verse? The power of sin is the law. We know from Paul's own writing that the law condemns by its strict requirements and by every person's total inability to follow it perfectly. If that were the gospel, it would be very inappropriately named because it wouldn't be good news at all. The law condemns by its strict requirements and by every person's total inability to follow it perfectly. On the other hand, the law can serve to condemn someone by inviting them to create a system of self-righteousness whereby they embrace the lie that sin is merely a matter of meeting some external standard and they then begin to think, well, I've got it all figured out. I've done all the right things. I've avoided the bad things and I'm fine. There is yet another group that desires to do the opposite of God's law. They, de they desire something precisely because God prohibits it. Friends, in these ways and many more, sin exerts its relentless grip on us and turns the law of God into nothing more than a means of death. Now, what can you and I do to solve this profound problem. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. What can we do about sin and death? Nothing. We can do absolutely nothing. This is why verse 57 explodes in doxology. It is only when we remember our total inability to do anything about our deepest problem that we cry out in heartfelt praise and worship to the one who did what we could never do. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, every person here today knows that death 
does have a sting to it. Many of you are feeling that sting right now. It can seem to all of us as well that death is victorious. It has the last word. So many friends and loved ones, in a real sense, have been conquered by death, and they now lay in the grave. There is an undeniable sting in death. But brothers and sisters, this will not always be so. God has made promises to his people in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Promises that have been and will be fulfilled just as surely as the tomb is now empty. Like we've already seen in the resurrection of Christ, the fulfillment of God's promises are always for the ultimate good of God's people. The day is coming. Listen, the day is coming when the taunts of the grave will be silenced forever. The sting of death will be replaced with the raucous and joyful sounds of singing and feasting. A nearly perfect summary of verses 54 through 57 is captured in the third verse of the song that I've already referenced and we already sang together. Listen carefully to it in light of this text. Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring everlasting life with him and we will rise to meet the Lord then sin and death will be destroyed and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore that's a great summary of this text So resurrection involves miraculous transformation. Resurrection secures final victory. Now finally, resurrection compels us to get busy. Look at verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I love the progression of this text. We move from Promise of resurrection hope to doxology to mission. This is why I opened the sermon with the story of John Patton. The promise of the resurrection doesn't produce apathy, it produces action. The women who discovered the empty tomb didn't leisurely walk back to their homes for tea. Now, with great joy, they ran to tell the disciples. No one, no one who truly believes the tomb is empty yawns in response. Now, I love the therefore in verse 58. It is the reality. Put, put all this together. 
It is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of every believer's resurrection that compels us to get busy. There is work to do. Look at the descriptive words in verse 58. Steadfast, immovable, always abounding. The resurrection of Jesus and all that it entails puts steel in our backbones. It fills us with courage. It keeps us going when opposition comes and the work of the Lord is difficult. It causes someone like John Patton to take the gospel to cannibals, knowing the worst that can happen to him is that he falls asleep in death and awaits the day of resurrection. The resurrection, the resurrection guarantees that as we engage in the Lord's work in our homes and at our jobs, within our neighborhoods and among the nations, none of this work is in vain because Jesus is alive. Not because you figured out the perfect words to say. Not because you mustered up all the courage you needed. The effectiveness of your witness is in this fact, Jesus is alive. So parents, as you tirelessly invest in your children, desperately wanting them to embrace the gospel and treasure Jesus or just simply obey for one day. And it seems like nothing is happening. Take heart. Because the tomb is empty, your work matters. On your worst day, Crank up the volume on a great resurrection worship song and keep going. Believing friend, struggling with besetting sin, keep fighting. Don't give up. Because the tomb is empty, your striving matters. Brother or sister who's constantly sharing the gospel with those that seem to have no interest. Keep speaking the truth. Don't stop. Because the tomb is empty, your faithful witnessing matters. Weary church family. Many of you have walked through intense difficulty and deep discouragement over the last months and years as part of this church or other churches. Keep limping. Keep limping one step at a time. Your commitment to the church of Jesus Christ and your struggle to stay engaged. Because the tomb is empty, it all matters. It's not in vain. Redeemer, do we need any more proof of this truth than what we've experienced 
over the last year. I don't, I don't mean to be trite, but as a virus has been spreading, so has the gospel. While many church buildings have remained closed, God has been growing his true church. The resurrection reminds us that the work of God and the spread of the gospel and the life of the church cannot be stopped. It can't be stopped by dysfunctional governments or worldwide pandemics or executive orders or fear-mongering news anchors. Every man-made obstacle to the advance of the gospel will ultimately be as effective as the stone placed at the mouth of Jesus' tomb. Right? You heard it this morning. While the world was preoccupied with an election and panicking about a pandemic, God was gloriously saving a mother and a daughter. A mother and a daughter who just happened to find a Bible church in Minnetonka, Minnesota that was open for business. Because the tomb is empty, this building and this baptismal wasn't this morning. That's all that we have rehearsed this morning and to all God has done and is doing in our lives and in this church, there is only one appropriate response. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray.